Section 29 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mara Bella. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2, by Cao Xueqin. Translated by Henry Bencraft Jolie. Chapter 39, Part 2 Dowager Lady Da also laughed. I heard Our Lady Feng say a little while back, she added, that you had brought a lot of squash and vegetables, and I told her to put them by at once. I had just been craving to have newly grown melons and vegetables but those one buys outside are not as luscious as those produced in your farms. This is the rustic notion, old goody Liu laughed, to entirely subsist on fresh things. Yet we long to have fish and meat for our fare, but we can't afford it. I've found a relative in you today. Dowager Lady Jia said, So you shouldn't go empty-handed. If you don't despise this place as too mean, do stay a day or two before you start. We've also got a garden here, and this garden produces fruits too. You can taste some of them tomorrow and take a few along with you home in order to make it look like a visit to relatives. When Lady Feng saw how delighted old Lady Jia was with the prospects of the old dame's stay, she too lost no time in doing all she could to induce her to remain. Our place here, she urged, isn't, it's true, as spacious as your threshing floor, but as we've got two vacant rooms, you'd better put up in them for a couple of days and choose some of your village news and old stories and recount them to our worthy senior. Now you, Vixen Fong, smiled Dowager Lady Jia, don't raise a laugh at her expense. She's only a countrywoman. And will an old dame like her stand any chaff from you? While remonstrating with her, she bade a servant go, before attending to anything else, and pluck a few fruits. These she handed to Banar to eat. But Banar did not venture to touch them, conscious as he was of the presence of such a number of bystanders. So old lady Jia gave orders that a few cash should be given him, and then directed the pages to take him outside to play. After sipping a cup of tea, old goody Liu began to relate, for the benefit of Dowager Lady Jia, a few of the occurrences she had seen or heard of in the country. These had the effect of putting old Lady Jia in a more exuberant frame of mind. But in the midst of her narration, a servant, at Lady Feng's insistence, asked Goody Liu to go and have her evening meal. Dowager Lady Jia 
then picked out, as well, several kinds of eatables from her own repast and charged someone to take them to Goody Liu to feast on. But the consciousness that the old dame had taken her senior's fancy induced Lady Feng to send her back again as soon as she had taken some refreshments. On her arrival, Yuan Yang hastily deputed a matron to take Goody Liu to have a bath. She herself then went and selected two pieces of ordinary clothes, and these she entrusted to a servant to hand to the old dame to change. Goody Liu had hitherto not set eyes upon any such grand things, so with eagerness she effected the necessary alterations in her costume. This over, she made her appearance outside, and, sitting in front of the divan occupied by Dowager Lady Jia, she went on to narrate as many stories as she could recall to mind. Bao Yu and his cousins, too, were, at the time, assembled in the room, and, as they had never before heard anything the like of what she said, they, of course, thought her tales more full of zest than those related by itinerant blind storytellers. Old Guri Liu was, albeit a rustic person, gifted by nature with a good deal of discrimination. She was, besides, advanced in years and had gone through many experiences in her lifetime. So when she, in the first place, saw how extremely delighted old lady Jia was with her, and, in the second, how eager the whole crowd of young lads and lasses were to listen to what fell from her mouth, she even invented, when she found her own stock exhausted, a good many yarns to recount to them. What with all the sowing we have to do in our fields, and the vegetables we have to plant, she consequently proceeded, have we ever in our village any leisure to sit with lazy hands from year to year and day to day, no matter whether it's spring, summer, autumn, or winter, whether it blows or whether it rains? Yea, day after day, all that we can do is to turn the bare road into a kind of pavilion to rest and cool ourselves on. But what strange things don't we see? Last winter, for instance, snow fell for several consecutive days, and it piled up on the ground three or four feet deep. One day, I got up early, but I hadn't as yet gone out of the door of our house when I heard outside the noise of firewood being moved. I fancied that someone must have come to steal it, so I crept up to a hole in the window. But lo, I discovered that it was no one from our own village. It must have been, interposed Dowager Lady Jia, some wayfarers who, being smitten with the cold, took some of the firewood they saw ready at hand to go and make a fire and warm themselves with. That's highly probable. It was no wayfarers at all, old goody Liu retorted, smiling. And that's what makes the story so strange. Who do you think it was, venerable star of longevity? It was really a most handsome girl of seventeen or eighteen, 
whose hair was combed as smooth as if oil had been poured over it. She was dressed in a deep red jacket, a white silk petticoat. When she reached this part of her narrative, suddenly became audible the voices of people bawling outside. It's nothing much, they shouted. Don't frighten our old mistress. Dowager Lady Jia and the other inmates caught, however, their cries and hurriedly inquired what had happened. A servant maid explained in reply that a fire had broken out in the stables in the southern court, but that there was no danger as the flames had been suppressed. Their old grandmother was a person with very little nerve. The moment, therefore, the report fell on her ear, she jumped up with all dispatch, and, leaning on one of the family, she rushed on to the veranda to ascertain the state of things. At the sight of the still brilliant light shed by the flames on the southeast part of the compound, old lady Jia was plunged in consternation, and invoking Buddha, she went on to shout to the servants to go and burn incense before the god of fire. Madame Wang and the rest of the members of the household lost no time in crossing over in a body to see how she was getting on. The fire has already been extinguished, they too assured her. Please, dear ancestor, repair into your rooms. But it was only after old lady Jia had seen the light of the flames entirely subside that she at length led the whole company indoors. What was that girl up to, taking the firewood in that heavy fall of snow? Bao Yu thereupon vehemently inquired of Goody Liu. What if she had got frostbitten and fallen ill? It was the reference made recently to the firewood that was being abstracted, his grandmother Jia said, that brought about this fire. And do you still go on asking more about it? Leave this story alone and tell us something else. Hearing this reminder, Bao Yu felt constrained to drop the subject, much against his wishes. And old goody Liu forthwith thought of something else to tell them. In our village, she resumed, and on the eastern side of our farmstead, there lives an old dame, whose age is, this year, over ninety. She goes in daily for fasting and worshipping Buddha. Who'd have thought it? She so moved the pity of the goddess of mercy that she gave her this message in a dream. It was at one time ordained that you should have no posterity. But as you have proved so devout, I have now memorialized the pearly emperor to grant you a grandson. The fact is, this old dame had one son. This son had two and only son. But he died after they had with great difficulty managed to rear him to the age of seventeen or eighteen. And what tears didn't they shed for him? But, in course of time, another son was actually born to him. He is this year just thirteen or fourteen, resembles a very ball of flower, so plump is he, and is clever 
and sharp to an exceptional degree. So this is indeed a clear proof that those spirits and gods do exist. This long tirade proved to be in harmony with Dowager Lady Da's and Madame Wang's secret convictions on the subject. Even Madame Wang therefore listened to every word with all profound attention. Bao Yu, however, was so preoccupied with the story about the stolen firewood that he fell in a brown study and gave way to conjectures. Yesterday, Tan Chun at this point remarked, we put Cousin Shi to a lot of trouble and inconvenience, so when we get back, we must consult about convening a meeting, and while returning her entertainment, we can also invite our venerable ancestor to come and admire the chrysanthemums. What do you think of this? Our worthy senior, smiled Bao Yu, has intimated that she means to give a banquet to return Cousin Shi's hospitality and to ask us to do the honors. Let's wait, therefore, until we partake of Grandmother's collation before we issue our own invitations. There will be ample time then to do so. The later it gets, the cooler the weather becomes, Tan Chun observed. And our dear senior is not likely to enjoy herself. Grandmother, added Bao Yu, is also fond of rain and snow. So wouldn't it be as well to wait until the first fall and then ask her to come and look at the snow? This will be better, won't it? And were we to recite our verses with snow about us, it will be ever so much more fun. To hum verses in the snow, Lin Yu speedily demurred with a smile, won't, in my idea, be half as nice as building up a heap of firewood and then stealing it with the flakes playing about us. This will be by far more enjoyable. This proposal made Bao Chai and the others laugh. Bao Yu cast a glance at her but made no reply. But in a short time, the company broke up. Bao Yu eventually gave old goody Liu a tug on the sly and plied her with minute questions as to who the girl was. The old dame was placed under the necessity of fabricating something for his benefit. The truth is, she said, that there stands on the north bank of the ditch in our village a small ancestral hall in which offerings are made, but not to spirits or gods. There was in former days some official or other. While speaking, she went on to try and recollect his name and surname. No matter about names or surnames, Bao Yu expostulated. There's no need for you to recall them to memory. Just mention the facts. They'll be enough. This official, old goody Liu resumed, had no son. His offspring consisted of one young daughter, who went under the name of Ro Yu, like Jade. She could read and write, and was doted upon by this official and his consort, just as if she were a precious jewel. But, unfortunately, 
when this young lady, Ruyu, grew up to be seventeen, she contracted some disease and died. When these words fell on Bao Yu's ears, he stamped his foot and heaved a sigh. What happened after that? he then asked. Old Goody Liu pursued her story. So incessantly, she continued, did this official and his consort think of their child, that they raised this ancestral hall, erected a clay image of their young daughter Ruyu in it, and appointed someone to burn incense and trim the fires. But so many days and years have now elapsed that the people themselves are no more alive, the temple is in decay, and the image itself is become a spirit. It hasn't become a spirit, remonstrated Bao Yu with vehemence. Human beings of this kind may, the rule is, die, yet they are not dead. Oh, me tofu, ejaculated old Goody Liu. Is it really so? Had you, sir, not enlightened us, we would have remained under the impression that she had become a spirit. But she repeatedly transforms herself into a human being, and there she roams about in every village, farmstead, inn, and roadside. And the one I mentioned just now, as having taken the firewood, is that very girl. The villagers in our place are still consulting with the idea of breaking this clay image and raising the temple to the ground. Be quick and dissuade them, eagerly exclaimed Bao Yu. Were they to raise the temple to the ground, their crime won't be small. It's lucky that you told me, sir, old Goody Liu added. When I get back tomorrow, I'll make them relinquish the idea and finish. Our venerable senior and my mother, Bao Yu pursued, are both charitable persons. In fact, all the inmates of our family, whether old or young, do, in like manner, delight in good deeds and take pleasure in distributing alms. Their greatest relish is to repair temples and to put up images to the spirits. So tomorrow, I'll make a subscription and collect a few donations for you, and you can then act as incense burner. When sufficient money has been raised, this fane can be repaired, and another clay image put up, and month by month I'll give you incense and fire money to enable you to burn joss sticks. Won't this be a good thing for you? In that case, old Goody Uyu rejoined, I shall, thanks to that young lady's good fortune, have also a few cash to spend. Bao Yu thereupon likewise wanted to know what the name of the place was, the name of the village, how far it was there and back, and whereabout the temple was situated. Old Goody Liu replied to his questions by telling him every idle thought that came first to her lips. Bao Yu, however, credited the information she gave him, and, on his return to his rooms, he exercised the whole night his mind with building castles in the air. On the morrow, 
as soon as daylight dawned, he speedily stepped out of his room and, handing Bei Ming several hundreds of cash, he bade him proceed first in the direction and to the place specified by old Goody Liu, and clearly ascertain every detail, so as to enable him, on his return from his errand, to arrive at a suitable decision to carry out his purpose. After Bei Ming's departure, Bao Yu continued on pins and needles and on the tiptoe of expectation. Into such a pitch of excitement did he work himself that he felt like an ant in a burning pan. With suppressed impatience, he waited and waited until sunset. At last, then, he perceived Bei Ming walk in, in high glee. Have you discovered the place? hastily inquired Bao Yu. Master, Bei Ming laughed, you didn't catch distinctly the directions given you, and you made me search in a nice way. The name of the place and the bearings can't be those you gave me, sir. That is why I've had to hunt about the whole day long. I prosecuted my inquiries up to the very ditch on the northeast side, before I eventually found a ruined temple. Upon hearing the result of his researches, Bao Yu was much gratified. His very eyebrows distended, his eyes laughed. Old Goody Liu, he said with eagerness, is a person well up in years, and she may at the moment have remembered wrong. It's very likely she did. But recount to me what you saw. The door of that temple, Bei Ming explained, really faces south and is all in a tumble-down condition. I searched and searched till I was driven to utter despair. As soon, however, as I caught sight of it, That's right! I shouted and promptly walked in. But I at once discovered a clay figure, which gave me such a fearful start that I scampered out again, for it looked as much alive as if it were a real living being. Bao Yu smiled, full of joy. It can metamorphose itself into a human being, he observed. So, of course, it has more or less a lifelike appearance. Was it ever a girl? Bei Ming rejoined, clapping his hands. Why, it was, in fact, no more than a green-faced and red-haired god of plagues. Bao Yu, at this answer, spat at him contemptuously. You are, in very truth, a useless fool, he cried. Haven't you even enough gumption for such a trifling job as this? What book, I wonder, have you been reading, master? Bei Ming continued. Or you may, perhaps, have heard someone prattle a lot of trash and believed it is true. You send me on this sort of wild goose chase and make me go and knock my head about, and how can you ever say that I'm good for nothing? Bao Yu did not fail to notice that he was in a state of exasperation, so he lost no time in trying to calm him. Don't be impatient, he urged. You can go again some other day, when you've got nothing to attend to, and institute further inquiries. If it turns out that she has hoodwinked us, why, 
there will naturally be no such thing but if verily there is won't you also lay up for yourself a store of good deeds i shall feel it my duty to reward you in a most handsome manner as he spoke he espied a servant lad on service at the second gate approach and report to him the young ladies in our venerable ladyship's apartments are standing at the threshold of the second gate and looking out for you mr secundus but as reader you are not aware what they were on the lookout to tell him the subsequent chapter will explain it for you end of section twenty nine